It's a new fave cast. This is your host, Patricia Hernandez, and I am joined by my co-host, Gita Jackson. Hey, Gita. Hi, Patricia. So, fun fact, Gita used to work for Pace Comedy before she was at Kotaku, right? Yeah, I was the assistant editor for Pace Comedy as well as Pace Games. Um, so I split my time between the two sections of the site, helping out Garrett Martin, who's the um, editors for both those sections, uh, helping him commission posts and edit stuff, that kind of thing. So today's episode is going to be all about comedy, uh, specifically about Rick and Morty, but I think we're going to end up talking about like a lot of shows that are on the air right yeah. now and how they handle similar topics. And more specifically, when I say Rick and Morty, I don't mean like the weird drama that happened around the McDonald's yeah. sauce recently <laughs> that everyone's talking about. I think we will have things to say about toxic fans because it's now a part of the identity of the show mm -hmm. but i think we're gonna do like a little critique about rick and morty yeah so we both just finished season three mm -hmm. so and were you a, a rick and morty fan before uh the season or, or did you just get into it yeah I've, i was watching along i fell off for this season until all of this drama because it, yeah. it just reached this point where it got so big that i was like i don't know if i want to be a part of that and we, we can get into we'll get why. into it we'll, we'll get, get into, into it. why i think it would be useful for us to just like take a step back and to work towards why rick and morty has become like the punching bag of the internet right now yeah uh so before we dive in how would you describe rick and morty to someone who has never watched it like what's it about to you like why do you think it's so popular it is a classic adult swim comedy show essentially it does all the things that people expect out of adult animation that runs on adult swim it is violent, it is irreverent, it doesn't really have any limits about where it's going to go in the subject matter, and it doesn't help that it's like a little bit nerdy and like a little bit happy to poke fun at worldviews it finds a little stupid. I remember when Rick and Morty first started, this was, um, it's a Dan Harmon show, also working with Justin Roiland, who um, I think Harmon worked with on some of his previous works. Um, and this was the post-community getting canceled. So it was the first thing Dan Harmon really did that wasn't Harmon Town or a podcast or something. The first season, I think, really was something special because it couldn't... It had no ability to stop surprising you. It just would always sort of go there. At times, crossing the line for me and for other people, but it didn't have any fear. Mm -hmm. uh, it was like... It was Dan Harmon without the constraints of a really suffocating network, essentially. And that was really refreshing to watch and it immediately became a smash hit on Adult Swim and that's only grown especially because they take like two to three years in between seasons essentially like a really long time mm -hmm. so as we've talked about I think previously in, in the show when fandoms don't have any new content to consume they go a little bit insane mm -hmm. they they have to create stuff to consume which is usually drama um, and I think between seasons the Rick and Morty fan base has got a little bit uh, stir crazy mm -hmm. and that combined with rick and morty definitely crossed over into the mainstream it's definitely one of the flagship shows of adult swim at this point mm -hmm. it's so much more in uh everyone else's view just how intense this fan base is and how much they love the show yeah i was thinking about this um well i i watched rick and morty but i didn't feel like it 
I became tired of it until it went away. Like paradoxically, yeah. when it was not on the air was when I heard about Rick and Morty the most. And it's probably exactly what you're describing. Um, but in terms of like what the show is about, like it's two people who can just yeah. travel to multiple it was universes. conceived right? as a show. It, there's an original short by Royland and uh, I think Harmon wrote, wrote it also called, um, yeah, Rick, Rick and Marty, actually, because it was sort of the joke was it's it's like the 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 mad scientist from Back to the Future and mm-hmm. Marty McFly essentially are the two archetypes of these characters. So, you know, a little, you know, a, a young, cool, a young kid that's getting dragged along all these adventures by this mad scientist. But here it's just like pushed to the point of absurdity. Mm-hmm. So they go on all these time travel, dimension hopping adventures, but they are all harrowing and incredibly sad, mm-hmm. which makes that irony is what makes it funny. So then I feel like by the time it gets to season three, the show is in a really interesting place because mm-hmm. um, like just narratively, by yeah. the end of season two, there was like a really big cliffhanger of uh rick turning himself into the, yeah, the space police yeah yeah i forget their name <laughs> the intergalactic space losers i don't really remember their name either but essentially the tension of the the show throughout all both of the seasons is that rick sanchez is a really bad person mm-hmm. and he fucks up his family's lives he fucks up his own life he's an alcoholic he's abusive um, he's just warped his family so that all they all depend on him, and he's like dissolving his daughter's marriage. There's a lot. There's a I lot going on. I haven't even considered on. that that everyone is codependent on yeah, Rick because he's abusive. He's an abusive guy that makes them all feel worthless unless that they can help him, and they always need his help because he's always bringing problems into their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and the tension, you know, it's like a dysfunctional family show. The tension there is like, is Rick going to realize that everyone will be happier once he leaves? And at the end of last season, he did leave. Mm-hmm. And it was a really poignant, very well written episode that I really loved. One of my favorites of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the show came back. And they just undid it. They undid it immediately. I was kind of, I was kind of hoping that he would just be gone for most of the season. Or that like we would see him in prison dealing with that but like the show would be about like what their life is without him but i guess the show is named rick and morty the for the is, reason yeah, yeah the show's named just, rick and morty. yeah they weren't about to do that although that would have been brave yeah but like even before i watched this latest season i felt like there was just like this weird aura around the show not just because it had we had waited so long for it to come back fans gave it a bad rap like the uh the news of the fact that episodes are now being written by women, I feel like, affected the way that people talked about the show a little bit. Um, yeah. Literally, if you start, ty- or at least when I started typing in Rick and Morty and then you type in R, it will autocomplete ruined by women. That's so um, sad. <laughs> and like, so I, sad. <laughs> I don't think that perception quite left as it kept airing because yeah. some of the episodes focused on the female characters and I feel like some of the some of the I'm not saying all of the reception but like at least a vocal minority reacted extremely negatively yeah. to like these this, characters aren't interesting why aren't we like off with you know, Rick more it's ironic to me because 
Beth and Summer have now been become more interesting than they have ever been in a season that I think is the most wildly uneven and the least interesting. Mm-hmm. So like Beth, for ex- especially, has turned from a, like a, a shrewish harpy into a character with like an interior life mm-hmm. and a history. What a concept! It's so when weird women, when women help write female characters. Female characters have an interior life. Yeah. What a baffling concept. And, like, Summer gets her own edgy jokes. Like, the things she said, God, I was remembering um, she was really upset that this guy, she, like, didn't like her. And so she's screaming while trying to find the the machine in the garage. Yeah, make that her she becomes bigger. the fucking uh, Attack on Titan. Yeah. Just like, like a thing. giant thing, yeah. My favorite, my favorite thing is like, uh, oh, like what is it that you like about her? A mutual love of French poetry, or uh, you know, a belief that carbon taxes are the only way to end climate change, or is it her big stripper titties? <laughs> yeah. uh, just you oh, know, those man. jokes. Like, I don't think that Summer would have gotten jokes like that before in other seasons. Mm-hmm. And this is you know a part of an ongoing conversation in comedy writing, especially when it comes to animation. Um, prior to the season. There were no women in the writer's room for Mm -hmm. Rick and Morty, which is totally whack. That's Mm -hmm. nuts. It's really weird that they just didn't occur to them to think, huh, it's weird that we don't have any women in this room. We should maybe think about hiring a couple of women. Uh, But, you know, the second episode of the season, which I thought was one of the best, Mm -hmm. was written by, was the first episode that had a uh, a written by credit with a a woman on it. And the problems with the show aren't necessarily with the writing. Mm-hmm. There is some tonal problems, but the biggest problem with the show is that Rick Sanchez is the, the lead character. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I feel like going in, what I saw as the biggest problem, I don't know if you feel the same way, but just the sense that it didn't have anything new to say. Yeah. Like it just, I felt like by this point, the big story beats, we were just already familiar with them. Like you said, Rick is a toxic monster. Like we yeah. know this, right? Uh, Rick can care about people and like maybe deep down he's like a vaguely decent guy but you can't fix him he's like beyond fixing we knew that Jerry's an idiot another story beat that just all the time Um, it did feel like Morty got a little bit savvier uh, this season like he was more in tune with like Rick's bullshit like more than any of the other characters and like you said Summer and Beth both got more agency. So I'm not saying that it was like completely static. The characters went somewhere, but like overall, I feel like the the narrative arc didn't go some. I mean, the, yeah. it says something that by the end, they wink at you and go, yes, we're basically rebooting, except more yeah. streamlined. Yeah. And it just the, and I feel like the central message of the show hasn't changed or evolved. Like it's always been that anything you love can die, that like, the world is vast and infinite and you are a piece of shit in it and nothing matters basically yeah. is like always been the point of this show. Yeah. Part of the problem for me also is um, when this show premiered and, and in the second season as well, you did not know where it was going to go. Mm-hmm. Now everyone kind of understands the Rick and Morty formula. And part mm-hmm. of that is because they haven't found anything new to say. They are still just nihilistic, like uh, everything sucks, nothing matters over and over and over again. But that's compounded by the fact that there is nothing it's surprising in Rick and Morty mm-hmm. anymore. They didn't do another interdimensional interdimensional cable, I think, pro- because they they did that twice and the second interdimensional cable was not as good as the first. Well, I feel like there's only so much shock that you can pull from like the fact that they just keep killing characters. Yeah. And they just come back. 
yeah. which I guess goes towards the central theme of like nothing like these pe- characters can die and it doesn't matter. We'll, yeah. we'll still have the show. You know, it reminded me last there's night. There's like just no was... stakes. But yeah, sorry, no, there going. aren't any stakes, and like it's there's not even any emotional stakes. There's no intellectual stakes here. Mm-hmm. We always know at the end of the day, nothing matters. It would be shocking now if they wrote an episode in which the lesson was actually caring about things is okay Mm -hmm. but they don't because that goes against the show's philosophy and in some ways dan Harmon, as a writer just that's what he believes he believes that nothing matters he believes that caring about things is not that cool and he really believes that it makes him enlightened to be depressed Mm -hmm. and it's uh at least i can't speak for him or how he thinks but his work says those things right um and it becomes frustrating to watch. And I tried to compare it in my mind to a bunch of different comedies that are similar to this. Mm-hmm. So Peep Show is a British comedy. That's one of my favorite shows of all time. Uh, it's uh, David Mitchell and uh, Robert Webb. And they play the two most loathable men of all time. Mm-hmm. And they never get better. They, in fact, become more and more depraved as time goes on. And to the point where God, one of the characters is getting married to a woman he's been pursuing for years and years and years, and he realizes on his wedding day that he doesn't want to do it. So he makes him and the the other character hide up in the upper balcony. And the other guy is like, I really need to pee. And he's like, you're going to hold it. And he just makes this guy pee himself because he doesn't want to get married that bad. <laughs> I never felt like in the show you were being told that you sh- the, this was the correct way to think. And I think there's a certain level of depravity in Rick and Morty, but I think the end of the day, the moral there is, and you also should believe these things. Mm-hmm. Or And I think it's a problem that if they're trying to say something different, their fan base has also really internalized the idea that nothing matters and you shouldn't care. Mm-hmm. Which Yeah, there's this quote by Rick that really struck me in uh, the latest season where he says... When you know nothing matters, the universe is yours. And I've never met a universe that was into it. And I felt like this was just so indicative of of who he is as a person. But I feel like also just I was weirded out by the sense that Rick was kind of like implying that he was owed mm-hmm. something. Like I just I this it painted a, this picture of like if he never invented if he just didn't have the scientific capacity he if he didn't have these godly powers he would be on reddit posting about like why the fuck don't these females like sleep with him because he's so smart can't they see that he's so smart like why aren't they into it and that's definitely how people feel about the fan base now too that's definitely how people believe the fan base is and that's not true across the board yeah like one of the one of the biggest memes isn't it like you have to have an iq of blah 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 yeah to love you don't have a big enough iq to like morty it's such an intelligent show there's a great article on vice where uh, someone went out and and interviewed a philosopher a screenwriter um like uh, a physicist and then was like, is Rick and Morty a smart show? And they're all like, kind of like, nah, (laughs) it's all right. Yeah. And it's just, but I feel like that's the value that the show peddles, right? That it's important to be the smartest person in the room. Mm -hmm. Um, And you just kind of see it in the way that he acts. Like he'll just go into a reality and just steal their energy source and like yeah. not give a shit about He'll like how like, he's just entitled to it. Like yeah. why why isn't he entitled to that super rare thing that yeah. like because he could think of it and you didn't think of it, so he gets to have it. You did you there's a really good essay going around um about uh the startup environments and like tech environments. Mm-hmm. And the essay was called uh why we decided to fire our Rick. 
And mm-hmm. it went on to say, we had this programmer who was actually brilliant and did sort of twist the office so that everyone in the office depended on him for, for pushing products through because we no one else could understand his code. Um, but he made the workplace toxic, and he also pushed all of our products deadlines like way, way, way behind. Mm-hmm. And so we realized that we had to fire him, and once we did, it became a better place to work, and we finished projects on time. Mm-hmm. And I think that the show does get at this idea that you don't want to be like Rick. Rick has nothing. He is lonely, and he has no attachments. But Rick, as a character, is allowed so much room to say why that's good. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really get absorbed. So the show is aware that he is a piece of shit, and yeah. like it makes a point of telling this to people. But like I, the pickle Rick episode, I mm-hmm. think is a great example of like how it falters. Just like it's intended to be a critique of this guy who's like so averse to working on his mental health that he will literally t- turn himself into a pickle to avoid talking about it or like working on it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like the show serves us this image of like Rick kicking ass as a pickle and like turning into this weird rat thing. Right. So like the effect is that people walk away with more of the idea of like Rick is cool than Rick is not someone who I should want to be like, or not someone that I should admire. And even if the therapist he eventually does talk to Constance Wong, I think Mm -hmm. that's her name, Dr. Wong, Constance Wong. I'm not Mm -hmm. sure. Uh, Wong was the last name. Um, even if she gets totally has Rick's number and is like, some people, you know, uh, really like therapy. I think you'd enjoy it as much as what I enjoy wiping my ass. You know, <laughs> the, the, the part of why that is is because it's work and it's work with no you know benefit or reward. And some people are okay with going to work, and some people would rather kill themselves. Mm-hmm. I think that's a very like good, like a very apt description of the things that are wrong with Rick. He is just unable to actually do the things that make him a person. Mm-hmm. However, Rick also gets the same amount of time to lay out his worldview. And his worldview is given a lot more prominence, both in that episode and every other episode. Mm-hmm. And his worldview is therapy is stupid. Caring about things is stupid. Romantic, uh, like attachments to your family are stupid. There's no reason ever to work on your, your mental health because absolutely, at the end of things, nothing matters at all. Mm-hmm. That It's even better if, you, if you're depressed and unhappy because... Yeah. Then you can deal with things. Yeah. Easy, then you easily. see things clearly. Which let me tell you, like when you're super depressed, to you that, always to that think point, that you yeah. like as a depressed person, I recognize that when I'm extremely depressed, I'm like, no, but I'm seeing things the way <laughs> yeah. in which I twist things a million times yeah. and like think that everything is awful. I'm I'm the only one that can actually yeah. see the world for what it is. But then when you is. get back to the healthy brain place, you're like, oh, I was just being a fucking moron. <laughs> None of that was true. Yeah. So like, yeah, going back to this pickle Rick thing, like. You can tell that they failed because, like, now Pickle Rick has become a meme. Yep. Like, you, have you seen this clip of this guy that's like just screaming Pickle Rick in the McDonald's? Oh my god! Or like, that just clip. like that, apparently that guy was a plant. I kept maybe, hearing that. but like, even if but it's not real, like, it's I not see real. all these images of like Pickle Rick T-shirts, Pickle yeah. Rick hats. There's a bunch of Pickle Rick merch. Like that is the thing that people remember from the show, and not 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 the, the really good line yeah yeah not the the very good speech about how rick's a broken broken person yeah it's like I or feel even like wubble up a dub dub that is a joke about how depressed rick is wubble mm-hmm. up a dub dub in the show is like a slang term for like uh i'm broken inside or something mm-hmm. like that and he says and, like, it as some a catchphrase a lot do acknowledge that like one of the jokes that i've seen of that is like you put it into google translate and it will translate to like i'm a lonely person or whatever yeah but it 
most of the time when it gets repeated, it's outside of that context. People just say the words yeah. in like this cheery tone. Like It's like the same thing as saying I love lamp or something, you know? Yeah. Just an acknowledgement that you both like the same thing. Mm-hmm. I just think it's a problem of scope and a pro- and a focus problem in the show. I think it's they got a lot out of hiring new writers. I I love I'm so happy the direction they took with with Beth especially by the end of the season Beth is such an interesting character. Mm-hmm. Um but it doesn't solve the fundamental problem of they just don't have anywhere new to go. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's that breaking bad problem where like everyone wants to be Walter White even though he like ruined his life ruined the life of everyone around him mm-hmm. um but pe- and gets shot and dies at the end yeah um but like and anyone who gets in his way is just a stupid nag mm-hmm. but like because we get to see him do all this shit with drugs like he's a cool person and skylar is awful that's sort of, i feel like it's a, the same problem manifesting itself here and it's, yeah. it's so difficult to like i don't feel like it's impossible to show you like a a person who is reprehensible and like have you like dislike them Rick and Morty exists in this like new wave of like deeply depressing dark comedy like i think of shows like bojack horseman Mm -hmm. you're the worst better things the good place like all these things deal with different aspects of depression i guess or like nihilism Mm -hmm. um and the existential problems of what does it mean to be good what what does it mean to be bad Mm -hmm. like what how much does it matter that i am a good person yeah and so like rick and morty is intensely bleak in this regard but like I don't feel like that's always the inherent message that all these shows have. Like yeah. you and I have talked a lot about the good place. The good place. The good place is so good. I love this show. I love it so much. So if, for people who don't know what it is, do you want to tell I'll, them what I'll it is? set it up. Okay. So, um, what is it? Kristen Bell, Veronica Mars. Mm-hmm. She wakes up and she's told that she's she's told by ted danson mm-hmm. that she's dead and congratulations she's made it to the good place she plays a character named eleanor shellstrop and eleanor shellstrop was the highest earner of you know the algorithm they had to determine who the, is a good person who's not a good person she won the most points she was a huge philanthropist and um you know she's going to be rewarded in the good place with a perfect life with her soulmate and then you know it's revealed that Spoilers. This Eleanor Shell. This spoilers. Spoilers. Right. There's so. This is a very spoilerful episode. But Eleanor Shellstrop is not the person that Christian Bell is. Christian Bell is a different Eleanor Shellstrop, mm-hmm. and Christian Bell, Christian Bell's character does not really does not belong in the good place. Mm-hmm. She definitely belongs in the bad place. <laughs> um, so she convinces her soulmate, a guy named uh, Chidi, who it was an ethicist and a professor at college. Um, studying and in teaching ethics to teach her how to be a good person, mm-hmm. and like that, I think is such an interesting like like basis for a show about what does it mean to be a good person, and also just it's inherently optimistic because here is someone who, for all intents and purposes, was irredeemable mm-hmm. during life, and they still position it as like no, she is going to try like 
it doesn't matter that she is an absolute dirtbag. She's still going to try. Yeah. And I like, um, as time goes on in the show, you learn that all the rest of the people in The Good Place also have character flaws. Mm -hmm. And it really starts to turn your thinking on your head in a different way than Rick Rick and Morty does. It begins to try to mess with your understanding of what is goodness and what is badness. Mm -hmm. So... um, Eleanor Shellstrop really dislikes this woman, Tahani, right away. And she says, you know, Tahani's so great, like makes a show of being so gracious and kind and welcoming, but she's doing that to show off. And then as mm-hmm. the show goes on, you realize that Eleanor's really right. Like Tahani's very self-serving and she may be like a very kind person, but she does it so that other people be impressed by her. Mm-hmm. And it, it it tries to subvert that thinking of there's only one way to be good, there's only one way to be bad, and that bad people are irredeemable, but in ways that don't indulge in the kind of nihilistic worldview that Rick and Morty has. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really good sort of... Uh, Contrast. Contrast. That's you could see me. I was holding my hands apart, <laughs> like, trying to understand what the word was. Um, it's a good contrast to Rick and Morty because the same themes are all there. The worldview of um, of the good place ultimately is also that nothing really matters. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, and I feel like we could especially dive into why if you're super caught up on it. But I don't want to like spoil yeah. the. If you haven't watched it, you should really watch first seasons on Netflix. Season. I watched in a day. It's so good. Mm-hmm. Um, please watch The Good Place and email us at favecast at kotaku.com. Fave this at kotaku. Fave this at kotaku.com mm-hmm. to tell us about The Good Place, please. Um, but even in the beginning, you can kind of see that like, if a person can end up in The Good Place by accident, then what does that mean about being good and bad? Mm-hmm. And then that very easily lends itself into conversations about what is good, what is bad, how much does good and bad matter? So in another show that I think about um, in in terms of like is intensely bleak and is about a person that is not good, Bojack Horseman. Yep. Uh, but Bojack is interesting because it's always clear that Bojack is not a good person and you don't want to be Bojack. And the show is effect. You can tell that the show is effective because people often don't go around just repeating Bojack's lines like that would be extremely depressing. And I think the most quoted character is probably Mr. Peanut Butter. And yep. he's the only character I feel like in that show that is legitimately aspirational. And it's funny to me because he seems like one of those characters that's only happy because he's like, quote unquote, dimwitted. And like, but I would, I feel like I would still rather be Mr. Peanut Butter than Bojack. Like it's, it's not a ignorance is bliss thing. It's a like, I don't want to be a toxic wasteland to everyone yeah. around me. And maybe it's not, beneath me to think that life is cool and worth living yeah yeah maybe a bojack i think as a show is trying to tell us that it's it's not everything in the world to be the smartest guy in the room mm-hmm. and that if you're the smartest guy like in the room but you don't have problem. any attachments there's yeah. a problem if you're the smartest person in the room like yeah. i i never want to be the most smartest yeah. person in the room i feel so i i like to be recognized for the things that i do know about but mm-hmm. i also try to recognize that there's a lot you can learn from other people and if you are at the place where you don't believe there's anything you can learn from anyone else that's a huge issue mm-hmm. and that i think is what makes characters and people like rick so toxic is that they just fundamentally don't have any respect for anybody yeah else. They, they just don't see value in other human beings like yeah. everyone yeah and i guess Sure, maybe that's true in the case of Jerry, but like I feel like most people aren't Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
I mean, yeah, that's another thing is like our only example of like a, a male role, like father figure in that family is Jerry and Jerry demonstrably fucking sucks. It's a coward <laughs> and is an asshole and an idiot, you know, like there's nothing to like about Jerry. That's the only other example we get of a, of a normal non-Rick Sanchez person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the only person in the show that's not related to Rick Although, as a principal character. you have to take into consideration that we see Jerry as filtered through Rick. Like, I don't know what kind of person Jerry yeah. would be if Rick weren't there to, like, make everything awful. Yeah, that's true. It's, I mean... And also, Jerry has, over time, become more and more of a coward. You know, mm-hmm. like, as the show's developed, he's, they've made Jerry more and more But also, he's put pathetic. into these, like, ridiculous situ- Like, I don't know, man. I guess I'm sounding like a Jerry apologist right now. <laughs> but, like, I feel like he's just put in these, like, extremely outlandish situations. Like, oh, no, aliens have overtaken the Earth. Or, like, oh, no, I'm dating this woman who, like, can kill entire cultures with her bare hands. Like, yeah. I can kind of understand why he's a coward. Well, and there's also the ways in which he's a coward are the ways in which normal people are cowards. Right. You know, not wanting to break up with someone because it's hard to break up with someone is a normal, yeah. normal ass problem. You know, every a lot of people tell little white lies when they're ending a relationship because mm-hmm. they're the truth. It feels too hard to say. Mm-hmm. They usually aren't dating tele- telepathic, you know, <laughs> like alien women that could kill you with their bare hands Mm -hmm. so yeah so maybe if okay to be absolutely clear i would put mr peanut butter way above jerry yeah but i don't want to just completely discount jerry jerry's just a normal person yeah (laughs) but in the world of rick and morty in order to be to be likable or to be valued you have to be extraordinary Mm -hmm. in some way like Morty's problem, according to Rick, is that he's useless. And Morty's and yet, <laughs> yeah, and yet, he Morty- always has to take him. Yeah, he always has to. I really did like the 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 montage episode with uh, Morty's mind blowers for all the times that. Oh yes, yes. All the times that Morty like kind of won. Just the example where Rick just keeps saying, "Take it for granted." <laughs> <laughs> Like, don't you savor, like, I'm not a, a, a prescriptivist when it comes to language, but I do savor when people who are so, so incensed about grammar and language just say incredibly dumb shit like that. Mm-hmm. I love it. <laughs> it makes me feel good. See, I think at the heart of why Rick and Morty or even a show like South Park are so ugly is that the central message is like, you're an idiot if you care about anything. Everything is awful. Nothing matters. Everything is wrong and bad in ways you can't understand. And I feel like it's just the most teenage ass Holden Caulfield, nobody gets me point to try to make. And you know what? At the end of Catcher in the Rye, Holden understands why he's wrong. Hmm. The end of Catcher in the Rye is him taking a step back from his, like, toxic worldview and realizing that he is just so not over his brother's death and needing to take, realizing that he needs to leave school, go to California to be with his other brother, recover from this his PTSD, and be an actual person. Mm-hmm. Like, that 
no one in these shows ever has that realization or if they do it's undone Mm -hmm. and part of that is because of the function of television television has to run for a very long time it can't doesn't most television shows aren't created with having a beginning middle middle and end Mm -hmm. but uh it's I, i can kind of understand why this happens though like rick and morty just feels like such a product of our time right now like I feel as if the internet is just constantly telling me that I should grow a thicker skin. I shouldn't care. That caring is the worst thing you can do. And I feel like that's why it's always this shit about like special snowflakes getting triggered or whatever. Mm-hmm. They care too much. That's their problem. They yeah. care about things in the wrong way and they ruin everything around them because yeah. they dare to care about yeah, the feelings South of Park's other people. big problem has always been its refusal to take a side. It's like the truth is somewhere in the middle. And then once you dissolve that sort of set bullshit centrist point of view, what you find at the heart of it is... Um, if the truth is in something in the, somewhere in the middle always, mm-hmm. then people who care enough to take a more straightened side, they're phonies. They, mm-hmm. They're bogus. You know, their opinions don't matter because it's all emotional. Mm-hmm. My opinion is rational and logical and scientific. Mm-hmm. When in fact, it's, you know, often taking a stance as much as anyone else. Like it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's also just not truthful that things are always in the middle. Sometimes things are right and sometimes things are wrong. Mm-hmm. Most of the time it's ambiguous, but... It does actually say more about you if you're say if you have some kind of ideal and you actually stick with it. Yeah, and I feel like the problem with this mode of thinking is that that when you hide things under twenty levels of irony, that's exactly how you get this problem of like, oh, you can be a Nazi without actually meaning it. Like if you, <laughs> yeah, it's like God. You saw that guy that went to Charlottesville wearing like a, a white polo. Oh, yeah. And was like was about to get beat down by a bunch of people who were counter protesting, and he takes his polo off, and he was like, "I just came here for the laws. I'm sorry, I'm not actually a Nazi." <laughs> and they're like, "Excuse me, <laughs> God, <laughs> you can just be a Nazi as a joke? I had no idea." So, but I can also see why the, this train of thought is like so appealing to people, because like, turns out caring makes you extremely vulnerable, and turns out the world is. A, I will give Rick and Morty this one. Yes, the world is extremely vicious. And I will actually, you know, that existentialist idea of existence fundamentally not caring. There is no intentionality to existence. There is no nothing in existence. that This table does not care that I'm sitting on it. Mm-hmm. This chair does not care that I'm sitting on it. The air doesn't care that I'm breathing it. Mm-hmm. I have to create meaning in life where because life inherently has no meaning. But there's two ways of interpreting that idea. In the good place... They think about what we owe each other. Mm-hmm. What we owe each other in a society that inherently has no meaning is just kindness. We owe mm-hmm. each other. We have a social responsibility to be good to each other because no one else is going to do it for us. Rick and Morty says you owe each other nothing. If existence doesn't matter, then nothing matters. You don't owe anyone shit. And if you decide that you owe people things, you're a moron. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, it, and it, I feel like Rick and Morty acknowledges this too. Like, the one time that Rick is happy and his life has meaning was when he was like with his wife and mm-hmm. we see everything turn to shit when his wife dies. Um, so I just feel like the show does acknowledge that caring is the hardest thing you can do, but also just like the most rewarding. Like it's a gamble. And I, I feel like becoming an adult for me has been allowing myself to like care about things publicly and not care that they might seem cringy or that I might be too vulnerable or it might be like too much. I feel like I've just spent 
so much of this show like critiquing Rick and Morty, but I would say that I like it. It's just it comes from a place of low love that I would critique it yeah. in this in this way like it's because the show has been so good that I am so frustrated with this season. Mm-hmm. The first and second seasons are some of the best television I've ever seen. Like so the I remember the second season premiere where they split off into different um different alternate universes mm-hmm. or alternate timelines and everything is all playing at once so the screen actually splits up into different sections mm-hmm. and just like what a creative yeah, idea that was so cre- i felt like high while i was watching that it i was, was like so what cool. the hell especially <laughs> when jokes played out differently in different parts of the screen or like the joke was in one of the screens like a, one of the characters behaved differently than the others i thought that like how do you even fucking write that shit yeah like i didn't see anything in the season that was anywhere near that creative mm-hmm. um I not at all. I'm trying to think of anything that pushed not just um storytelling boundaries but like creative like animation boundaries in that way. And I don't think this season really had an episode that did that for me. Mhm. Yeah, and I feel like I wonder if that is also one of the forces behind this like weird backlash ar- around Rick and Morty that it just is not as good this season mm-hmm. i uh, i think it can be good like you what you were describing and i think also just there's this ten, like okay now i'm moving on to talking about fandom stuff but mm-hmm. like i think part of the reason that now rick and morty has become the punching bag of the internet is just uh it got so big and i feel like there's always this tendency of like oh this thing is hyped we gotta burst that bubble like i i being contrarian on the internet is like super yeah in well, there's always like different waves of discourse, right? Mm-hmm. So there's the initial wave of enthusiasm, and then there's the backlash. Mm-hmm. And I think pretty soon we're going to come upon the counter backlash. But yeah. um, right now we're fully in the backlash cycle of discourse about Rick and Morty. And the, the the thing is, like, it's not actually that bad of a show. It just kind of had a lackluster season. Yeah. And the problem with that is, you know, I Rick and Morty fans are reminding me right now of people who really love like sports teams that don't do well. Mm-hmm. Like, bless his heart, Patrick Klepek really loves a bunch of really bad Chicago sports teams that don't do well. Um, and I feel bad for him all the time, but he's very defensive of his love mm-hmm. because even though they don't do well, he loves them. So he doesn't want to so hear. Pure. It's like he doesn't want to hear people talk shit about the sports teams that he likes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, that is true for. I love Taco Bell, and I won't hear a bad word about it. It sucks. <laughs> I know that it sucks. Taco Bell is disgusting. But if you've ever hotboxed a car and gone to Taco Bell, like you know what I'm talking about right now. <laughs> it's so good. Um, but. You have to, at some point, kind of look at the thing that you love and be like, you know, it's true. It's not that good. (laughs) And it's fine. It's fine. It's not that good. Or else you will look like the people who got incredibly angry about McDonald's not having enough chef sauce. So I was just thinking about this. I have no doubt that the people who are out there paying thousands for this fucking sauce that you can just make at home it's, it's teriyaki and ketchup y'all <laughs> that's all that it is. It. Yeah. but i like i have no doubt that the people that got like quoted in all these articles and like freaking out and like all those videos i have no doubt that they're in the extreme minority just looking at numbers like there yeah. are millions of rick and morty fans these I are was, just like some of the most visible i was looking people. for those people to talk to you and i found like a handful and they were actually not 
that t- like they they didn't really exist. Mm. You know, like it was a handful of people that kept getting screenshotted over and over and over, and it just seemed like it. Yeah, the internet has this effect. Like, did you? I I wonder if I'm thinking about the right thing. Where this publication was uh, reprinting the Constitution in it was tweets, NPR, yeah, NPR, and was- then there were like four people who were like, "What the fuck is this SJW shit or whatever?" Mm-hmm. And it turned like this turned into a huge news story, but it was literally like five like four, people four or, or something. And one of them like, apologized when it was pointed out to them that NPR does this every year on the 4th of July. Mm-hmm. And they were like, hey, NPR does this every year on the 4th of July. And they're like, oh, I'm sorry, my bad. So yeah, when, <laughs> when I talked to Rick and Morty fans, they were always extremely clear to me, like, every, this is not unique to this fandom. We're just so big. We've attracted like a a shitty side to like like all fandoms like even yeah. steven universe has yeah. a shitty side to it so rick and morty is not special or like out of the ordinary in this regard it just happens to be the like i can't think of a, another cartoon that is bigger at least for like adults right now and yeah. i think that's part of why this is so visible to everyone but i, I think also to some degree these like schisms in the fandom are like a direct result of the show missing the mark like people glorify rick because the show makes him look too cool and so like the only thing people can see and what's amplified to like the thousand degree is like rick's godhood status mm-hmm. so it's like this weird like the bigger the show gets the more it's just like rick is awesome rick is awesome yeah no i definitely think that's true. Like, I think that the longer the unless they fix the sort of character and focus problem they're having right now, they are going to end up with a more and more toxic fan base. And they're going to end up like South Park, just a fucking zombie just lurching along. But everyone watches out of habit. But I don't think has said or done anything truly exciting, invigorating or transgressive since Marilyn Manson released Antichrist Superstar. You know, mm-hmm. like, <laughs> the, yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. You know, it's like it's like watching Marilyn Manson continue to release music is like another one of those things. I think it came up because I was trying to think of the last time I saw something in popular mass media that actually I felt was transgressive in, in that way, like actually shocking. Mm-hmm. Um, well, because it's so easy to try to be edgy and shocking. Yeah. Like, it's just always the preferred method of humor. People think saying something like, I don't know, or, racial slur is like edgy just because it can come out of your mouth and like it's yeah. a taboo and like just saying it for some reason makes you like some sort of i don't know yeah like it's just the thrill of saying a bad word we're not supposed to is something that people drives people to laugh and i understand that you know it's funny to say poop <laughs> poop's a funny word but that's not the end all and be all of joke construction and and humor and, and making people laugh um yeah, it's just very difficult to actually create comedy that's transgressive, especially if it stops being a transgression and starts being part of the mainstream. Mm. That happened to South Park. South Park actually did used to be kind of subversive. Um, I never really agree with its politics, but it, at the very least, it made, made people so fucking angry. And that was really cool. Um, the same for you know, Marilyn Manson did also used to genuinely frighten Poor large portions of mm-hmm. America. They hated him. And, you know, both those things are just... Yeah, I feel like now South Park just has... Like, even when it does something shitty, like, 
the whole Kanye West thing. I can't yeah. remember exactly what it did, but uh, he, like they made I, a homophobic joke and something about fish sticks. You know, no, no, no yeah. the more recent thing with his oh, mom. Oh, yeah. So Kanye West wanted to make this video game about his mom who died, Donda West. Uh, she died during plastic surgery, and he blamed himself for a long time because she would not be having plastic surgery if he wasn't an incredibly famous person. Mm-hmm. Um, so he wanted to make a game about her ascent to heaven. And that project got shelved. Mm-hmm. Um, it just didn't work out. Like so many video games, it just didn't work out. Mm-hmm. And in in the in the South Park game, or at least one of the trailers showed uh, a gay fish, which was what they called Kanye on the show, crying about his dead mom. And then a portion of the game where you play as his dead mom ascending to heaven, and it just seemed like really weird and mean spirited. Well, yeah, but like, okay, it's so the reception to that was some outrage and like, why would you do this? But like, it was so short lit. Like, I feel like it was just the tiniest internet. Like, it was like a controversy for like two hours or something. And then people just didn't give a shit. And like, like, why react to South Park is now the the question. mm -hmm. Like when South Park does something like that. The question is, why would you ever expend energy having an opinion about this? Like, I feel like it, it's made its point almost too well. If it keeps telling people, like, you were a piece of shit if you care about anything too much, like, now people are wise to the game. And, like, why should you expend any time yeah. being upset about something that South Park said? It's South Park. I feel like it's just not relevant If you anymore. tell me not to care about you, then I'm going to stop caring about you. Just end of the day. That's what's going to happen, <laughs> you know? Uh, man, it I sucks wonder if Rick cause... and Morty is going to cross into that. Like, if eventually it's, it's going to be so good at its message of like nothing matters that people will stop caring about well, Rick and Morty. We both had the same experience this season when we started watching it and then just kind of stopped. Mm-hmm. And I wonder like how many people list like in that are Rick and Morty fans would count themselves among fans that were excited for the third season did the same kind of thing where. Mm. They just kind of they saw just kind of stopped watching. Yeah, I think for me it was that it got too big, and also just I'm just inundated with like so many good shows right now. There's a lot of good television right so, now. So like the the combination of like everyone running around doing memes about this show with like oh I have a million other things that I could be watching, and many of them are like extremely good comedies, which just made it easy to like not care or like watch when all of it was out. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I have a hard time keeping up with shows as they air, so I kind of figured I'd watch some and then wait <clears throat> for the season to end. But I, I think if we hadn't been planning on doing this podcast, I wouldn't have actually finished it because it's just kind of like there's a lot of really good comedy out right now. Like you listed like five good currently airing shows, mm-hmm. and I and uh, Crazy Ex Girlfriend just came back, and that show is fucking awesome. I still awesome. need to watch that. Oh, it's a really good show. It's so good. You're gonna really like it. It's I hate musicals, and I really love Crazy Ex, so. I highly recommend it. Um, so it just didn't seem like I had room on my plate for it. It was the first to go, mm-hmm. basically. And I don't feel bad about that because now that I've actually watched it, it's just not a good season. Mm. Just kind of boring. Really bad finale. Yeah. Yeah. I know that they were trying to do something cute with the whole, like, we're going to start over, but I was just so dis- Especially after the last finale. The last finale was so incredible. It was... Really heartfelt and emotional mm-hmm. and made me believe for a while that this show actually was building to some kind of point. But the only point they're building to is there is no point, mm-hmm. which is just I'm tired. I'm tired <laughs> of that. I'm over it. All right. Any last final thoughts on Rick and Morty? 
No, but please watch The Good Place. (laughs) (laughs) Wrap up. Please watch The Good Place. (laughs) You heard it here first, folks. Unfave us. We love The Good Place. Shout outs to Janet. All right, great. They're coming up with cute nicknames for us now. Favors, I like that. Okay, so we're back and we are going to answer some reader mail. We have a question from Kit. Um, She writes, hi, Favors. I think that is a very cute nickname. I launched Overwatch for the first time since August and got some Metro's new dragon skin. Congratulations. I didn't even have a particularly fun match, but the compulsion to grind for loot boxes came right back. Here's to hoping I don't get burned out on it again. Has there ever been an event that brought you back to a game in a way that make you made you feel like you'd want to stick around for the long term? So I was thinking about this in the context of, you know, everyone's talking about loot boxes right now and how I play Overwatch is definitely... I only play it when there's an event on because then I'm like, ooh, I want that skin or whatever it is. Like, So I hadn't booted up Overwatch in like months until I saw the Symmetra skin and then I dropped $20 to try <laughs> to get the Symmetra skin. And guess what? I didn't get the Symmetra skin. Of course not. But yeah, I feel like it's that's the only time I will come back to Overwatch. Oh, you know what? What I usually come back to is... Uh, Splatfests yes. in Splatoon I was is what usually say, gets me back. Just if to... there's a really good Splatfest, I will boot up Splatoon again because some of them are really fun. Sometimes I have really strong opinions about the questions they ask. Yeah, and it's entirely about the community because there, there is like a utilitarian reason why to do Splatfest and it's for the shells. But that's not why I'm booting it back up. I'm yeah. booting it back up because... You want to see the drawings. Yeah, like I want to see the drama, like the the lobby is just like lit like it's yes. good like it makes you feel especially Splatfest like they they make it look like a party and then Kelly um Marina and Pearl are doing that song and it just feels really like a community vibe that you don't get from other sort of in-game events mm-hmm. I will say sometimes with uh mobile gotcha games I oh, no. always end up deleting them from my phone because <sighs> they take up too much room but if they have a really good event like I've almost re-downloaded Love Live so many times because they have really good events and i wanted to play them but yeah, it's i haven't interesting done it. that events are such a big part of like games of service now but so many games are just bad at them like i'm yeah. I'm constantly being told like it's double xp weekend in blah 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 or like it's valentine's day and like now you when you shoot things there are little hearts but that's not gonna get me back into the thing like i don't care like it has to actually be interesting or like engaging like it's not just like a small difference i guess with the exception of overwatch because they just designed the skins in such a good way that i yeah. want like they lucked out in having really good over like artists at blizzard blizzard really knows what they're doing about with that aspect of the game um, although to be fair it's not usually just cosmetic for them like there's a new mode right now yeah right so exactly people can dive into that yeah i think i mean the thing that also that distinguishes splatoon's events the splatfest mm-hmm. uh, from a lot of these other games events is that it's not just like double XP or you win a prize. It's like shit's going to be happening in the game that is dictated by the community. And if you're not there, you're going to miss it. Mm-hmm. Like, So even if you boot up the There's game. There's a sense of like yeah. missing out, right? Yeah. Like, 
You are not going to see the cool drawings that all your friends made. You are not yeah, going to see. Yeah, because now there's not even like a Meverse. To, yeah, like, they're going to rec- go. If you don't see them, they're gone. Mm-hmm. So you have to go into the game. So it's just like this. A good event has this like ephemeral feeling, right? Yeah. Of like, it's just during that time. It's like going to a good concert. Mm-hmm. And you don't get that from just double XP or you get a special new gun. You know, it has to feel like if you don't see this, you're fucked. <laughs> mm. All right. Our other question comes from Carly and they write, hi, Patricia and Gita. First off, I love the show and look forward to it every week. Thank you. My question is, when is the last time a game made you cry or has a game ever made you cry? Game trailers or music can pull my heartstrings, but I rarely get emotional while actually playing games. Maybe I need to play some new ones. Okay, so here's my weird confession. I think it's interesting that the marker of, like, good or, like, artful games is, did it make you cry? Like, I feel as if this was a question for a while, like, lists of games that were capable of raising so much emotion in you that you would cry. And I don't know if that it's, like, me as an adult or, like, what, but, like, I cry all the time now. Crying is just a thing I do. Like, it doesn't take much to, like, and I'm not saying I, well, no, sometimes I cry at bullshit, too. I don't know. Maybe I'm the wrong person to ask this because I feel like things always just touch me in, like, ways that I don't expect them to. Yeah. I I, I was crying last night watching the finale of of the show, and it was poignant, but, like, I feel like they also could have, like, just phoned it in, and I still would have teared up yeah i feel like i cry a lot more than i used to as well um for reasons often unintended by the show or the thing i'm media i'm engaging with itself just like there'll be a small moment that really touches me in a mm-hmm. particular way and i'll just the waterworks will just start um but i, I think also just i embrace that now like yeah. I, i'm okay with you're the okay thing with making me cry <laughs> yeah no i am also like a lot more okay with feeling emotional i know that the last time so we belong to um, a union. We're part of the Writers Guild of America East Coast. And they started sending out the screeners, by the way. Mm-hmm. I got a screener in the mail for Logan. Mm. And I was like, great, this is an excellent movie. I will literally never watch again because the last time I watched it, I cried for like half an hour. And oh, I was just no. in a room of my friends, just adults. Mm-hmm. And we were having a good time watching the movie, you know, and having some drinks. Like Our friends, uh, Mike and Meg, made us some cocktails. It was nice. And then at the end of the movie, like... We all just sat in silence and cried for about 15 minutes. But it felt really good. It felt good as a group to come together and have that emotional experience together. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't something that I was embarrassed by. And there wasn't an environment where... That's so good. It was amazing. And then we got to talk about why we were upset and like how good the movie was at making us feel things. And that felt so amazing. And like that's the best part about being an adult, I think, is being able to have feelings and not be ashamed of them. Hot tip cry more <laughs> you should be crying in every game that you play and if you're not crying in every game you should be crying at call of duty you should be crying pokemon at- go crying <laughs> you see this car crying you see this wife crying <laughs> um and if you're not crying i think you should reevaluate your life choices yeah. is basically my my advice cry at everything yeah. cry more i definitely cry cried better. a lot of persona 5 though i think that was the last yeah. game i think that was the last game i Although Nier is also doing some weird shit to my brain. Nier Automata is making me upset. So I definitely teared up a whole lot during Persona 5, but I also listen to the soundtrack all the time. Mm-hmm. 
and I just there's something about Shoji Meguro, if that I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing his name, that just makes me so wistful that like it doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter that I've listened to this song literally hundreds the of hours. The theme for Persona Five has that like such a determinant and like rebellious tone mm-hmm. that it like makes me have like determined cry. You know, like I'm so <laughs> inspired by this there, song yes, this that I started point. to tear up. Yeah. There are different types of crying. It's not all like <laughs> I'm crying because I'm sad. There's triumphant crying. There's like determined crying. Yeah. You should explore all the, the spectrum get of up, get out there <laughs> and cry. All right. I think that's where we're going to call the show for today. Thank you so much for listening. I'm going to give special thanks to Mandana Mofidi, who is the executive director of audio. And a special thanks also to Levi Sharp for producing. Um, we're going to thank mello makes and stuart wood for doing the music that you hear in the show mello does the theme song and stuart has done the sort of interstitial uh ad music and you can send us an email if you have questions uh at fave this at kotaku.com or tweet at us with the hashtag fave this hashtag fave this um i'm gita jackson i'm joined by patricia hernandez you can find both of our work at kotaku.com where we write about video games and a lot of other stuff also you can find this podcast on pretty much anywhere where you can listen to podcasts on iTunes, on Google Play, on Spotify now, which is incredibly cool, um, on iHeartRadio and Stitcher. Stitcher also. And make sure to leave us a review and leave us a rating. It really helps with visibility. Thank you so much if you have already done so. And make sure to check out this week's split screen where Kirk uh, and Jason will be talking about South Park, Visual shutting down, and Jason says lots more. 